Hello and welcome back to Leader Up, a podcast of Army Management Staff College. Leader Up is a professional conversation where we discuss a broad range of leadership and leader development topics with an emphasis on the Army civilian professional. I'm your host, David Howie. On today's episode of Leader Up, we have two outstanding guests, and both of our guests today are instructors right here in Army Management Staff College. One is an Army civilian professional, and the other is a commissioned officer in the United States Army. So let let me introduce, and we'll welcome our guest. Uh, First, we have Mr. Larry LaRoe. He is an instructor in the Department of Organizational Leadership which focuses primarily on the CES Intermediate course. And our other guest is Major Ryan Cornell Deschere, who is from the Department of Enterprise Leadership, which focuses on the advanced course. So Larry LaRoe and Major Ryan Cornell Deschere, thank you both for being with us today on Leader Up. Thank you for the invitation, David. I look forward to representing the intermediate course and awareness as it relates to our curriculum. Thanks for having me here, David. Looking forward to the conversation. So, uh, Ryan, would you just tell our Leader Up audience a little bit about your background and how you got into your role as an instructor in Army Management Staff College? Uh, Sure, David. So uh, I've been in the Army for 15 years now. I commissioned through ROTC. Uh, I'm a logistics officer. My basic branch was transportation. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in brigade combat teams, uh, my last assignment prior to coming here was uh, with one of the Army's uh, handful of explosive ordnance disposal groups. And uh, I had been an instructor once before as a senior captain. I taught the logistics captain's career course, uh, really enjoyed it. So uh, when there was an opportunity to be an instructor again, uh, it was something I was really excited about. I didn't actually know what AMSC was at the time, but I've learned quite a bit since then. And I've been here for about two years now. Okay, and thank you. We really do appreciate uh, you giving us your time today to talk about uh, self-awareness. And Larry LaRoe, just a little bit about your background and how long you've been in AMSC and how you got here. Yes, thank you, David. I've been in AMSC for about about seven months, and I, I got here because a few years ago, my last assignment before I retired from the Army, I, I worked for the uh, University of Foreign Military and Cultural Studies in TRADOC G2. And um, I did. You know, I taught some red team courses and uh, applied critical thinking and did facilitation and things like that. Had the opportunity to do some work uh, with the Army Management Staff College and other agencies uh, here at Fort Leavenworth, and, and got to know some of the people here and the mission that they did, and had a real appreciation for it. And so, when I had the opportunity to come back here and teach again, then then um, I was very eager eager to do that. Okay. Well, thank you also for joining us today on Leader Up. And so, Ryan, let me ask you, you're, you're kind of in a unique role here in AMSC in that you're a commissioned officer uh, in the United States Army. Just from your perspective, what do you see uh, in the Army Civilian Corps, and what, what, what kind of things are you learning about uh, the Army Civilian Corps? Yeah, thanks, David. So it's definitely a, a very special opportunity that a lot of my peers don't get uh, to work with civilians uh, this early in their careers. And what I've learned is just how important Army civilians are for that long-term stability and continuity that they provide. I mean, they have deep, deep expertise uh, within whatever their career fields are. But 
What I respect most about Army civilians is the fact that they might have to own a problem for a very long time. So for green suitors, I mean, we're changing jobs about every 12 months, and we usually have to PCS every two or three years. But those civilians are the ones who are there holding the bag, uh, doing their due diligence, and continuing to get after it. And uh, I didn't quite understand how much they did for the Army and how vital of a role that they played. Um, so that's something that I've learned quite a bit during my time here, and uh, I've got nothing but respect for our hardworking Army civilian professionals. Okay, th- and thank both of you for uh, giving up your time today to to talk to our Leader Up audience. So we're going to focus today on self-awareness, and so I want to just start, and I'll start with you, Larry. What is self-awareness? How would you define self-awareness? In its simplest form, uh, David, I'd say self-awareness is the ability to know your strengths and weaknesses, but it's it's more than that. It, it's a willingness uh, to ask yourself hard questions and to explore your own biases and take those thoughts and that stimulation you have in your mind from that point of initial spark and initial thought and what does it mean and how how does it affect your ability to, to receive information and make decisions and communicate with others. And it's a, uh, a necessity for applying influence, you know, which is, uh, in our case, leadership. Uh, and, Ryan, do you have any, something to add to that? Um, yeah, thank you. So I'd say in addition to Larry's points, uh, I would add self-awareness is uh, seeing yourself and seeing how others see you. So there's kind of an internal and an external attribute to it. Do you know the causes of your own feelings? What makes you tick? What makes you comfortable? What motivates you? What satisfies you? But also, what pushes your buttons? Uh, Maybe be willing to take the time to explore your bad moods. Uh, Be able to anticipate what might perhaps cause conflict in you. And then be able to get ahead of that so that you can manage your emotions and be a more effective leader. And so, uh, and I'll go to you, Ryan, starting off with this one. Um, in the advanced course, what kind of activities are there in the advanced course that do what you just kind of talked about, that learning about yourself and then also getting um, others' perception of you? Yeah, thanks, David. Great question. So uh, we have quite a few activities uh, over the total run of the advanced course. So uh, there's all the different lessons uh, that we cover on the topic We have lots of facilitated discussions with students. There's coaching sessions that we do, both in small group formats as well as individual coaching sessions. The students maintain a weekly learning journal where they capture some of their reflections and takeaways from the course. Some students don't embrace the journal uh, right away. Some do as the course goes on. So I try to just help them understand that you don't really have clarity until you write things down. Otherwise, you just have nebulous thoughts going around through your head. But once you force yourself to get organized and write things down, you don't really know what you think until you see what you say. And then that's something that you can refer to later on to capture that moment in time. There's a lot of opportunities that we have to provide feedback throughout the course. Uh, As a weightlifting enthusiast, I like to refer to it as sets and reps. So uh, giving the students sets and reps in giving feedback and in receiving feedback Feedback is something that can help make you more self-aware and improve your self-awareness. Because if you have a blind spot, you probably don't know unless it's revealed to you. And that's why we always like to say that feedback is a gift. 
And there's lots of opportunities for feedback uh, spread throughout the curriculum of the advanced course. Okay, thank you for that. And Larry, in the intermediate course, what are some of the the tools that I would see uh, in the intermediate course that help with self-awareness? Yes, when we get to enjoy some of those tools that Ryan mentioned, we make a lot of use of the feedback. We enjoy the journals, um, and those are great tools as well. Unfortunately, we don't get to enjoy as much of the uh, coaching and the counseling sessions due to the length of our course and the design of our course. But we spend a lot of time on the the facilitated discussion and the questions that we ask. And so we spend a lot of time with an emphasis on, you know, the journey, not necessarily the destination and the task is not the purpose. And so the assignments that we give the students, the way that we weave that discussion is we spend a lot of time helping them explore what they went through to get a particular assignment done. So one of the first things we start off with is a set of guidelines, you know, how they're going to treat each other. And we help them explore the differences in the definitions that they might have seen um, and the the reactions they had when they maybe had a different opinion of, you know, what respect meant or what loyalty meant or what validation meant or some of those terms that they generally come up with when they build those guidelines and how they work through that process. What was that first thing that they felt and how willing were they to express a, a dissenting view or a, a different opinion or something of that nature? And we use those experiences to help them explore, you know, the, and help them develop um, a self-awareness and a willingness to continue to develop that self-awareness. And, and so what you're saying is, uh, as I'm going through an activity as a student, I, I have a reaction to something and kind of p- pulling that apart and uh, digging deep in that helps me learn kind of something about myself or, or how I deal with conflict or what causes me conflict. Yes, that's exactly right, David. And it's, it's about the experience. And we, we take the experience and we look at it in a couple of different parts. We look at it about, you know, the logical flow as they work through the process um, to get through in a linear fashion to go from the instructions to the completed project. But what we really spend time on is the parts that had an emotional emotional context to it the things that they they maybe drew on another analogy or something they will relate their experiences in the classroom back to something in their office or back to something that happened even as early as childhood and then we help them explore why was that the analogy you chose or why was that the memory why was that the experience you related to and what is it about that that gives value to what you're doing now and gives some meaning to the experiences that you're currently having and, and both of you talked about the role of the journal in the advanced course and the intermediate course. And I just like to go a little bit deeper and I'll start with you, Ryan, just about what the journaling is about and for you as a facilitator, what it, what it does for you to be able to help students with their self-awareness. Yeah, sure, David. So uh, the journal is meant to be a companion piece for the learning journey that the students go on. So we try to advise them early on in the course kind of what we're looking for and what we're not looking for. So when a student writes in their journal, this week we uh, we took one, two, three, four lessons. That's not that valuable because we were all there. We all know what those lessons were. But what happened? What did you learn about yourself from the experience? Uh, were you put in a position where you had to lead a group of peers? Were you put in a position where you had to carry on some large responsibility on behalf of the team? How did you do under pressure? Uh, Did you rise to the occasion uh, in the event that something went wrong? 
or you even failed? Did you learn from that experience? What did you learn about your team? And it's a dual entry journal. So from week to week, the students will submit their journal and their facilitators will review it. And we all have different techniques for how we physically mark it up, but we'll all insert some kind of comments or questions in that journal uh, based on what the students have provided and we send it back to them. And the intent is for that journal to be a living document and we continue to update the same document as we pass it back and forth from week to week. What that allows us to do is measure any kind of movement that's happening for the student. Uh, are they having some kind of eureka, like light bulb, aha type moment at some point in the course where uh, perhaps some of their fundamental assumptions have been challenged, uh, shattered, or maybe validated in some cases? Uh, what are they learning about themselves? What are they learning about teamwork? What are they learning about leadership? What are they learning about the army? And then what can they take away from that and how can they use those takeaways to make a difference for their teams and their organizations uh, when they return to the force after they graduate. So the journal is just a great tool, uh, something that they can keep. It's for them. Uh, I mean, what they'll share is pretty confidential with us. We don't uh, just openly share it with anybody. So we encourage the students share as much as you're comfortable with sharing because you'll see it and your facilitators will see it and nobody else will. Yes. And you know, and I, I agree with all the value of the journal and we use it, you know, very much the same way. And what I, what I would have to add is it, it kind of becomes a dialogue almost between the facilitator and the student. And it's, it sort of starts off that way. And then it becomes a dialogue, an internal monologue for the student themselves. And I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of exploration of ideas that wouldn't have otherwise come out. And what happens is when the student thinks about something and they reflect on it, they think of it a particular way. But then when they have to write it down and they put it in words and they have to articulate it in a way that may have to fit on a page, they can make it more concise and they can make it more precise. So they think about it in a different way. And then when they come back and read it and reflect on it again, they really get to think about that same idea three different ways and think about input and feedback from the instructor. And then they can think about it during class, too, and they, they can look for other points to either question or validate. Um, so they look at it and learn about it and really from about three different perspectives. And, and that, that process, like you said, Larry, about um, they reflect on it, they think about it, they reflect on it, and then at some point they write it down, um, that can really help with self-awareness. I, I believe that. I've seen it happen. And um, my when, when I was a facilitator, uh, my questions back to them were things like, uh, uh, how can you verify that? Or how can you see if that's true? Or what choices do you have uh, about that? And then they, they kind of realize that uh, they've got a set pattern of behavior and um, we're, we're pulling them to look at different ways to deal with old problems because the, the, the things that folks bring into the classroom are the same things that they bring into the workplace and um, they react probably starting off in the same way. And uh, we kind of give them choices. Is there another way for you to deal with this? And sometimes they'll see that. Yes. Cause I've been doing this my whole life and it's, you know, the old Dr. Phil quote, uh, how's that working out for you? And um, for some of them, it's not been working out good. And uh, they need kind of a different choice shown to them. And so uh, let's, let's go to the uh, instruments 
uh, that the different courses offer. And just and when I say instruments, uh, leader up audience, I'm talking about uh, the Myers Briggs type indicator and other personality instruments such as that. And so uh, let me go with uh, Larry. I'll start with you on this one. What what are let's say the the key instruments in the intermediate course uh, that really have a profound impact on self awareness? Okay, sure, David. Um, our course broken into three weeks, and the first week we really we, we adopted the theme of self awareness, and, and that's our goal. So the first week we administer the Myers Briggs type indicator, and we we kind of explore those ways of how people deal with that inner world and in that external world, how they receive information, how they make decisions, and how they interpret uh, ex- or how they interact with the external world. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with that one. It's, it's very popular. It's, it, you know, it's been around, what, 70 years now or something. It's quite a while. So people are familiar with the terms introversion and extroversion and, and how you manage that energy. Um, and whether, you, you know, you like your sensing or your, your feeling and, you know, how comfortable you are with using your intuition versus needing some, some hard facts and some hard me- measurements, some quantified data. Um, your willingness to, um, just explore big ideas versus having some form of a, a structure, you know, in, in your world and trying to trying to force the world and all the things you observe to fit into some set of rules rather than just simply trying to enjoy and understand the world and operate as part of it like, a, you know, water in a stream. And so we use that in the first week during self-awareness, but it's not the only thing we use. And so the second week we, we discuss team building. And during that time, we use a strength deployment inventory where we focus a little bit more on people, performance, or processes. And we, it's, it's applied in the context of how to, to develop a more effective team and become a better team member and lead teams. But it, this one really resonates with the students a lot. And we get some of our best feedback. Um, and best confirmation from this one because the students really seem to get benefit from it. It seems to answer more of the questions they, they show up with. It answers the questions they didn't know they had about themselves and why they do certain things. But it also leads into um, conflict and how do you know when you're going into conflict? What are those things that cause you to go into conflict? And when you're in conflict for a little while as it progresses, what, what are those gradual increases in conflict causing in your behavior? And it, And we come up with things to help them observe those and then get them back into their normal uh, motive-based uh, behavioral system. So that one kind of focus on your motives. And then the third week, uh, we talk about uh, improving the organization and accomplishing the mission. And then we do the uh, FIRO B, which is the fundamental interpersonal relations uh, orientation, just the behavior uh, battery of that. And it helps you determine um, aspects of your desire for inclusion in the group uh, openness and your willingness to share information, your willingness to hear other people's information they're sharing, and uh, then the con- control, the amount of structure you need in your relationships. And this really opens a lot of eyes, too. This is a difficult one, but it, it opens a lot of eyes for students. And, and the combination of these three over the course of three weeks, rather than just giving it all at once, um, I think it really, you know, by the end of three weeks and you enjoy all of them, um, all of our students are, are asking themselves much, much better questions, but most importantly, they have a, they're armed with a vocabulary now to go back to their organization and discuss those interpersonal relationships they have and question their, their position within that organization. And what is their part? What is their 15%? What are they contributing to the successes or potential failures of the organization? 
It's, and so in the advanced course, uh, there's some other instruments that are offered, and, and those also, I believe, are offered. Uh, Ryan, can you just address the instruments that, that the advanced course offers? Yeah, certainly. So we have a total of eight instruments that we offer in the advanced course. Um, out of those eight, six are for everybody, and two of them are electives that we offer in our, our fourth week of the class. So the first four are all part of the uh, relatively new uh, Athena assessments uh, that we've been using as part of uh, Project Athena. So that includes an instrument they take for um, adaptability, one for systems thinking, uh, their ability to see connections between elements of the environment and understand how they fit into the bigger picture. Uh, There's another one called the Self-Awareness Individual Differences Inventory. And finally, the Leader 360 assessment. So uh, with the Leader 360, they initiate a self-assessment, and then they also uh, send an invitation to a number of assessors, uh, which includes a mix of peers and supervisors and subordinates to try to paint a complete picture of uh, who you are as a person because people are all seeing you from different lenses. Because uh, in a lot of cases, the only feedback they might get is what their boss sees and what their boss tells them. So those four are all part of the Athena assessments. Uh, the results they get uh, are confidential to them. Uh, they're welcome to share it with their facilitators uh, in the context of a coaching session, for example, and explore that. But uh, they're not required to present that to the rest of the team. Uh, the other instruments we have, um, so just like Larry alluded to, we also have uh, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, the MBTI. That's one of our electives. We do the Strength Inventory, the Strength Deployments Inventory as well, the SDI, uh, during our first week. So we also have the Kolb Learning Styles Inventory, or KLSI, which we talk about in the first week. And that's just another way to help them see themselves uh, as a team. What are some of their preferences? How do they like to go through new experiences? How do they like to receive new information? And then how do they like to use that information once they have it? And we tend to circle back to the collective learning styles of the team when we get into some of our planning exercises later on in the course, because depending on where we're at in the planning phase, uh, there might be some people with a preference for diverging uh, who want to be creative and explore possibilities. Uh, There might be people with a preference for converging um, and really focusing in on a specific direction. There might be those who want to dive right in and there might be those who want to slow down and do more analysis. And there's always going to be a little bit of a push and pull among those different preferences. So we try to help the students understand that it's going to be a richer experience if you're all able to embrace your differences and leverage one another's strengths to balance the team out. And the last uh, instrument that we have, which is also an elective, uh, is called the TKI. Um, That is the Thomas Kilman conflict instrument. So we talk about conflict through the lens of the strength deployment inventory, uh, which Larry had already alluded to. So The SDI talks about uh, what motivates you when things are going well and then what motivates you when you go into conflict. So the TKI will also look at how do you respond to conflict? Uh, What is your desire to satisfy your own desire? What is your desire to satisfy the other person's desire? And we explore what some of those differences might be. And what can sometimes be eye-opening for students is, Uh, If, let's say, I'm more likely to want to accommodate you first because I want to keep the peace and I don't want to hurt your feelings, I want to preserve the relationship, so I might just roll over and give you what you want, and you might want to assert yourself first and prevail over those obstacles. 
what can be eye-opening for students is to understand maybe neither one of us likes conflict. We both want it over with as soon as possible, and we both want to get things back to normal. We're just going to choose different tools and different strengths in order to accomplish that. And those are all the instruments we have. And, and these instruments can do, correct me if I'm wrong, can do two things for a student regarding self-awareness. And it's something that some students come in without an understanding of, and that is their, and I'm going to use this word assets, the things that they can do well in an organization that help them be successful. And and a lot of folks just simply do not recognize that. Um, and then the other, the flip side, you know, in SDI lingo, we don't use the term weakness, but we use, you know, overdone strengths, but they realize when, when those same assets can kind of become perceived uh, as weaknesses by other people. And so, um, yeah, those instruments are, are very powerful uh, towards self-awareness. And I think uh, they also create some empathy towards others when you take a hard look at the person who's in the quadrant across from you and you realize that that's why that person – and I, I sometimes have, have conflict at work because they don't do things the same way I do. And I get frustrated with that. But together, uh, you know, we maybe if we work together and, and show each other some grace, we put out a pretty decent product. Um, okay, I want to get to uh, the first uh, quote that I have. Uh, we got We got a couple of quotes to talk about. And this first one is from uh, Carl Jung. And Young, uh, that's J-U-N-G, folks, uh, out there in the Leader Up audience, is kind of the uh, founding philosophy uh, of the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Uh, And the quote is, everything that irritates us about others can lead to an understanding of ourselves. And so, uh, Larry, what, what does that quote mean to you? What would... What would that mean in a classroom? How would you help a student use that quote to understand uh, what's happening? Yeah, thank you, David. Um, it's interesting because I've I've had this conversation with with several students, and you you see the things you know, you see the things you understand, and it's difficult to see things you don't understand. Um, and so, what does that mean? You see behaviors that are normal to you. You may not like them but you've experienced them, you've done them. But when you see it in other people, you don't understand their motive the way you understand your own motive. It's really hard to be in someone else's mind and understand why they're doing things. And so if you're doing something and you have a motive and you know that, well, maybe I didn't do so well because I was just tired that day, or, well, I did my best, but there was something in the environment that caused it to not go very well. It's it's common to not extend someone else that same grace. And you may, depending on your you know, your tendency to be more negative or more positive, you may actually see a malicious intent when someone else does something, they just simply make a mistake. And there may be that assumption that maybe they did it wrong because they were trying to, they had some other motive. Um, So you're going to see the things that you know, you're going to hear the things you know, and you're not going to know their motive. And sometimes you don't, you don't apply the best intentions, you know, to someone else's actions. Okay, and Ryan, what do you have any thoughts about that quote? Um, I do. So kind of to piggyback off of Larry's point, so it's called the fundamental attribution error. 
So I'm going to judge myself by my values and motives deep down. I'm going to judge other people based on the behaviors that I observe from them. So the measures are different. And the analogy I always like to share with students is, let's say that Ryan is late to work. And Ryan has all kinds of excuses. He's such a victim. The world's out to get him. Uh, His dog was sick and kept him up late at night. Uh, He got stuck in really bad traffic. Uh, There was some crazy detour and construction going on. Uh, There was a long, unusually long line at the gate. There were all these crazy circumstances that resulted in Ryan being late to work. But then Larry shows up late to work. And Ryan immediately thinks, well, you know, Larry's just lazy. Uh, he, he should have planned ahead. He's just, he's just careless. The reality is Larry could have had the exact same challenges, the exact same circumstances that Ryan did that led to Larry being late to work. But that's the fundamental attribution error. So, I mean, we have to be willing to give people a little bit of grace and to just understand that what you saw someone do might not be what their intentions are. And then if I can just add one more point to the Jung quote, about what irritates us and how that is uh, revealing. So when we talk about conflict, uh, particularly in the context of the SDI instrument, so one of their premises is that people do not go into conflict over things that do not matter to them. People will absolutely go into conflict over things that are important to them. So if someone is willing to spend the emotional energy to go into conflict, it's because something that is very important to them is somehow under attack or being threatened or insulted or criticized. So if you say something or do something that triggers conflict in me, my reaction will say more about me than it does about you because I am revealing something that is important enough to me to go into conflict over it. Okay, thank you. Gentlemen, thank you both for uh, for those uh, comments about that that quote. And um, let, let's kind of go to maybe the heart of the self-awareness discussion, and it is this question, and I'll go to you, Larry, first. How is self-awareness related to leadership and leader development? What is, what is the relationship between those? Okay. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, self-awareness related to leadership and self-development and, you know, you only have to pick up a copy of, you know, 622 and read it. it, it Army doctrine relates it to everything from, you know, flexibility, uh, self-development, and it basically states that self-development is not even possible without self-awareness. Um, and like I mentioned up front, that uh, a willingness to know and understand your strengths and weaknesses is an indication of self-awareness. And if it's hard to learn that, which you, you think you already know, you know, we use that quote all the time in our classroom. And if you think you already know everything, then you're not really self-aware and you can't really grow and you can't develop if you're not self-aware. And again, that will lead to hubris, arrogance, and all those things that all your subordinates and peers, even your superiors will be frustrated by. And so they're going to resist any influence you have. So you're not going to be able to apply leadership. You're not going to be able to lead a group that, that doesn't respect you. And they're not going to respect you if you don't demonstrate self-awareness and a mastery of self-awareness. And so you have to have that, know where you need to grow, know what you need to do to become better, and know what you need to change and adjust to make sure that people react to you the way that you want them to or the way they need to to accomplish the mission of the organization. And Ryan, how is uh, self-awareness related to leadership and or leader development? Yeah, Great question. So early on in uh, our advanced course curriculum, we have an exercise with the students where 
we ask them to describe what words come to mind when they think about the best boss they ever had and what words come to mind when they think about the worst boss they ever had. Inevitably, the list of words for worst boss is much longer. And I'll always ask, how many of you have had a bad boss or worked for a poor leader? And like every hand in the room goes up. So then I'll ask, okay, so how many of you is a poor leader or a bad boss? And nobody will say anything. So then I'll ask, what might your subordinates say about you? And some don't know. They've never really asked for that feedback from their own employees. Like, how am I doing as a boss? What more do you need from me? Like, how do I know that my leadership style is effective? So I believe one way that self-awareness relates to leadership and leader development is with intentionality, uh, being deliberate about having a leader identity, being clear about what you stand for, what you value, how you're going to lead, how you're going to influence others, even if you're not in a supervisor position. And something I always like to write in students' journals when they talk about best boss, worst boss is no one intentionally sets out to become the worst boss, but no one becomes the best boss unless they are intentional. They are deliberate about asking themselves hard questions about their performance, their judgment, their decision-making. They know what they're not good at, they work on those weaknesses, and they're humble enough to leverage the strengths of others around them uh, in order to address their own professional shortcomings. And, and if I want to become, quote-unquote, the best boss, for most people, would you agree that, that requires, that's going to require me to grow in some way? In other words, if I'm just coming into it with what makes me comfortable, I'm probably not going to be as effective as I could be if I, if I learn some ways uh, to, to become a better, a better leader or a better boss. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, David. And, and if you come into it knowing what made you successful, that's probably five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. It, it's not what made you successful when you were a young leader. Um, it, it's what's going to make you successful in the future and in your current situation. And to do that, you have to be self-aware, self-aware enough to know how people are reacting to you. And, and how they're receiving you. And I, I, frankly, in, in conversations with our students, a lot of the issues that I hear them discuss are uh, people who were successful when they were young. Maybe they did something, you know, when they were 22 years old and they were leading an organization or something for the first time or younger, but then they brought those same, the, those same actions, what they believe to be skills or attributes to the organization they're in now, and they tried to apply them. And it's relative. The situation has changed. The people have changed. The environment has changed. And they're still trying to use those things. And, and that is a clear demonstration of a lack of self-awareness because they, they don't know their current position and how people are receiving them. And, and that kind of brings me to uh, my second quote. And this is a quote by uh, Soren Kierkegaard. And the quote is, of all deceivers, fear most yourself. And that's kind of connected to what we just talked about. And so, Ryan, I'll start with you. What, what, what would that quote mean uh, for a group of advanced core students? I believe for a group of advanced core students, uh, it comes back down to uh, actively seeking feedback, uh, acknowledging if you're not good at something, be willing to admit if you don't know something. Uh, some people will walk around uh, with – a surprisingly arrogant mindset in some cases. I once had a student make a statement along the lines of, well, I communicate perfectly, so if my employees don't understand me, that's their problem. 
to me, that's an example of someone who perhaps needs to work on their self-awareness uh, and may have a, a bit of room for growth uh, as they're developing their leader identity. Yeah, and they, you know, this this quote really resonates with me. And we truly are masters of self-deception. And I found a lot of humor uh, in what Ryan just said because I, I hear the same things. And I, I hear uh, folks say things like, well, I really mastered my leadership abilities when I was in the military. And after spending a week or two with these folks, I help them understand that, you know, what, what worked when you were 22 years old doesn't work now that you're retired and you're 45 years old. It, you're, you're dealing with Army civilian professionals now. You're not dealing with young Marines or young soldiers. It's, it's a different situation. And it's a clear demonstration of, uh, you know, you're really fooling yourself. You, you, you haven't mastered it as well as you think you have because you're not being self-aware. You're not willing to be adaptive. You're not willing to change to the different people that you're with and their reactions uh, to you. And, and let me ask both of you, and I'll, I'll start with you, Ryan, uh, on this question. Is this, is this journey towards self-awareness, is it, is it almost required that there is some kind of a, uh, a pain to go through? Is it, is it have to be um, kind of uh, this, this painful journey or this painful trek uh, that someone goes on? You have to have that kind of baptism through fire in order to really allow the world to get your attention and start learning uh, what, what the real truth is about yourself. What do you think about that? Um, I don't know if it needs to be uh, necessarily painful, but uh, I do believe that uh, there will be some kind of experience that uh, perhaps is negative or that resonates with you in some way uh, because those tend to be the, the more memorable experiences that stick with you. So uh, one example might be uh, if I'm giving you some feedback on how you've done with a presentation or whatever the case might be, and maybe my feedback is very corrective uh, in nature and it might sting a little, but that typically will be what helps you learn and grow from it. Because if all I ever give you is supportive feedback, hey, you're doing great, keep doing what you're doing, you're doing awesome, and we just continue to pat ourselves on the back, we'll have really sore backs after all that padding. Uh, but how much <laughs> learning and growth uh, is really happening uh, but if you've built enough trust uh, with that person and you have to give them some feedback that maybe stings a little, maybe a little bit of tough love, if you've built enough trust with that person, they'll understand that that feedback uh, comes from a place of, you know, I care about you and I want you to do better and I want you to continue being part of this team and that's why we're talking. What I also might offer uh, as far as like any kind of a painful experience is uh, going back to the example of the best boss and the worst boss that you've ever had. And I've had quite a few worst bosses, quite honestly. But what I offer for students, because almost everyone has some kind of a story, and it can be therapeutic to share that sometimes, but I believe there is a lot of power in negative leadership experiences, even though they can be miserable at the time. But the lessons they teach you about what not to do are unforgettable, and they will stick with you forever, sometimes more than the positive examples. And so, Larry, does does this journey towards self-awareness, does it, is it necessary that there is this emotionally painful uh, component to it? I know back when I was in the Army, we had this phrase called a SEE, a significant emotional experience, you know, where you're down in the motor pool on the verge of tears because of whatever it is that happened. So does it have to kind of be that way in order for me to pay attention to the world around me? 
David, what I would suggest from an intermediate course perspective, um, we use a lot of what what Ryan had just said in, in that you can learn what not to do from people as well as learn what to do from them. You tend to learn from those emotional experiences. Those are the ones that stick with you. But what we attempt to do is is demonstrate a behavior. And so if we expect a, a student to demonstrate growth and, and self-awareness, then we as facilitators demonstrate that. And we demonstrate the ability as, as teaching pairs to give and receive feedback to our partners and give and receive feedback to the students. And so – we demonstrate that vulnerability by showing, uh, by offering, you know, relevant stories about, hey, here's where I really messed this up as a leader. Hey, here's where I really thought I was coming across, and I really thought my team understood me. And this is the train wreck that happened. And I just, they were telling me, they were giving me everything I needed. I just refused to hear it. I, I you know, my mind was closed. I didn't have a growth mindset. And we, we demonstrate some vulnerability and we share those stories when, hey, this is when I got it wrong. This is where I was on a journey. And so I find it a little bit easier to not cause them to have to make all the mistakes themselves, but share some of yours. And then when you demonstrate that vulnerability, you're, you're going to get some trust with the students and they'll start to do the same thing. And when you have two or three students within a class of 15 or 18 that start to show some vulnerability, that's when things start to happen. So I, I would have to say, you know, painful experience is kind of irrelevant, is kind of relative, but it has to be emotional. I, I believe there's emotion tied to it. But when students start to demonstrate some vulnerability, they start to show and share stories where they just got it wrong. And, and they, they demonstrate stories and, and uh, illustrate stories of where they are on that path. Then I think that really opens the minds of the other students and gives them a willingness to, to share their ideas, their experiences, and get them all on that path to developing self-awareness. And, and that's why uh, David Kolb created uh, the experiential learning theory uh, he believed that that true learning really came out of these powerful experiences that that people have in their lives. Um, okay, I would like to go to the third quote, and we're going to kind of start wrapping this up. And um, I, I really like this one, and this is a quote by Ann Landers. And uh, folks out there in the Leader Up audience, if you do not know who Ann Landers is, uh, you can look that up. Old people know, young people have Google, younger people have Siri or Alexa. So you can find out who Ann Landers uh, was. But here's the quote. Don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive evidence that you are wonderful. And uh, that's our final quote. And so I'll just go to uh, each one of you. Ryan, I'll start with you. What, what would I learn from, from that quote about self-awareness? Um, so for me, that makes me think about there's sometimes a difference between the person you are underneath and the position that you occupy or the position that you represent. Uh, so in some cases, your dog's admiration of you might represent that, hey, you're the one who feeds them. And it might not always be, hey, you're the you're this awesome person and that's why I love you so much. So I think that's important for leaders sometimes to uh, not get wedded to their position or some of the trappings that are associated with it, uh, I believe that as we continue to rise through the ranks, uh, the only good that comes from any increase in rank or position is the increased responsibility to take care of your people, uh, or in some case, to take care of your dog. Okay, and Larry, go go right ahead. I, I know you're uh, excited to talk about that quote. Go right ahead, yeah, sir. Yeah, this, this is a 
I find a lot of humor in this quote, but it, it, you know, it just demonstrates that sometimes, you know, it it goes back to the self-deception and, you know, we may love to live in an echo chamber and we may really want to believe we really are that good. And, uh, but that hard feedback can be tough and, and, you know, our dogs don't give that to us. They give us that positive feedback. They also kind of reflect our mood a little bit. And so what I mean by that is in your workplace, sometimes folks are going to reflect your mood a little bit and tell you what you want to hear um, or, t- you know, instead of what you really need to hear. And so dogs don't do a very good job of giving that constructive feedback. And sometimes employees who are in a particular situation where they're not allowed, where you haven't developed that trust with them and, and they don't have that room to make mistakes in the organization, all those other things that a good leader, a good self-aware leader provides and builds in that environment don't exist so they're going to give you just what your dog gives you too, just that positive feedback, that love and adoration. And you're not going to hear the good kind of feedback that you really need that's going to help you grow and develop as a leader. Okay, well, thank you both for uh, for those uh, comments about that quote and uh, for your general comments about self-awareness in the intermediate course and the advanced course uh, of the civilian education system. I really appreciate you giving up your time to be with us today. And so, folks out there in the leader of audience, uh, have you, if you've done the advanced course or the intermediate course, do you have your instruments, uh, your MBTI, your SDI? Uh, can you go back and review them? Is there anything that you learned about self-awareness uh, that you need to kind of refocus on to, to become uh, a better leader in your workplace? And uh, if that's the case, then go take a look at that. And um uh, review your journal. Uh, if you have a printed journal from one of those courses, go back and look at it. What kind of things did you talk about and what kind of feedback and questions did your facilitators offer uh, for you? And thank you for listening today, Leader Up audience, and join us again next time for another edition of Leader Up. As always, if you have any questions or feedback or would like to learn more about our podcast, please check the description for our email and for our website. Thanks for listening.